Are we on? Is it recording? Dude. All right. This is a legitimate podcast. We have Mike Miller, Double Bit Axe Company, Chris Killinger with Killinger Woodsman Gear and Tool and Concrete and Flooring and Moving. And we have Roy with Vintage Axe Works. And we have a very, very special guest today. It's Eric from Hand Tool Rescue. Thanks so much for coming on and hanging out with us guys. No problem. You said my name three times, so I had to appear. Yeah, so we kind of we kind of uh, bombarded you, and and it's funny that Chris and I, we were totally doing that independent of each other from last week's episode. And oh, really? I, I swear to God, it was not a, it wasn't a concerted effort to like ambush you and try to get you on here. Yeah. Um, but we were like high school girls. We're like, hey, I just get <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they were pretty much at the same time. Yeah, I know. So um, I got I got a real quick short story to share you before we get rolling here. Um, so Eric, you and I, we've chatted a little bit back and forth about axes and stuff. Um, yes. Um, so whenever you were like, yeah, let's do it, I'm in. And I was like, awesome, thanks. I really appreciate it. Then Eric writes back. He goes, I'm available, never. Fuck you. <laughs> and my response was, um, I'm confused. So, <laughs> so what do I do? I pick up the phone like an hour later because they're crickets. And I call up Chris, Chris Cash from Mount Phillip Metalworks. I go, hey, Chris, I think Eric's fucking with me. And he was like, what do you say? And he goes, wait, wait, it doesn't matter what he said. He, of course he's fucking with you. <laughs> yeah. So I told him the conversation. And he's like, yeah, dude. Um, he sends me stuff all the time where it's just like the randomest, weirdest, most insulting thing ever. <laughs> yes, it is. It is fun. It is. It is fun. So yeah, I drive. I enjoy uh, sending him random stuff also. I'm glad you you got the joke at least. I did. I I, I fear the people that don't, but uh, that's their problem more than yeah. mine. A little bit of me was a little worried because I don't know what your <laughs> alcohol intake and consumption levels are. And I was like, is this dude fucking drunk or what? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I better call Chris Cash because he knows him yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been drunk the whole time. You'll never know. Well, we are most of the time. Yeah, um, Mike Miller's that, back there having a having a beer right now. Is this is this what axe people do? Yes, actually, it is a lot of the time. <laughs> this is so. this is the the true the true passion. What are you, what are you drinking back there, Miller? That's a uh, Pennsylvania Yingling Oktoberfest, as I shared with you guys already. So it's good. It's not too bad. It's not a Sam Adams Oktoberfest, but it's it's pretty good. Interesting. So got to keep interesting. The, Pennsylvania tradition a lot. Yes, getting drunk and swinging axes um, <laughs> incredibly. It in it's, it's yeah. safe. It's safe. You won't see that in a manual or a book anywhere, but yeah, it's safe. We recommend it. We recommend Yeah. I feel like the true lumberjacks back in the day were probably just hammered all the time. Yeah, like you can't you can't do that. You can't do that all day. No, dude, I go out and I mow my yard and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I need a beer. Like, the smallest <laughs> amount of exertion is the justification <laughs> to drink a freaking beer. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It's very tough. I, I feel you. 
So do you have a beer preference, Eric? Beer style? Ooh, beer preference. Yeah. Um, I'm partial to wheat beers. Hmm. Yes. Um, only because where I am right now, like where I'm from, uh, there's just an insane amount of wheat. So the kind of culture in the city here is towards that. Then I guess I just uh, absorbed that <laughs> that opinion. Uh, although they they are tasty, so that's fine. So are, are there good Canadian beer like brands that are better than others? Uh, yes, of course. You have your standard like gross domestic lagers, and then uh, you have your usual fancy beers that are from local breweries. Uh, like where I am, there's a lot of wheat going into beer unnecessarily, maybe. Uh, but I'll drink anything. I don't really mind. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, hey, like, w- welcome to the club. Yeah, I'm not like, <laughs> oh, oh no, this barley beer, get it out of my face. <laughs> yeah, as I'm not, I'm not uh, was, picky at all. When when I was up there years ago, I noticed the Labatt tasted better and it had more alcohol in it than what we yes. have here in the States. Yeah, Labatt, uh, that's a Pilsner. Um, yeah, it's a, they're all five, they're all five percent or six percent. Yeah. So whenever I was living out in Spokane, um, the big beer out there was, uh, Kokanee. Everyone loved fucking Kokanee. Right. We I never, that was before I was drinking, so I never tasted it, but I don't even know what kind of beer Kokanee is. Uh, it's probably just a lager. So Miller would like it. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be just most popular beers, I guess, like mass-produced beers are just lagers. They try yeah. to remove as much flavor as humanly possible. And enter Mike Miller, the guy who loves beer but doesn't like the taste of beer. <laughs> yeah, I like all beer. I just don't like Camel Piss IPA. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> How cool. dare you? That's my favorite. Is it really? It's three on three on one in here. Oh God! That's why like Budweiser uses like beach wood chips <laughs> to seriously to uh, absorb some of the flavor. I thought that's why they use the rice. Yeah, also the rice. <laughs> it's just like water-ish alcohol. So I was convinced after our last episode, I told my wife I was like. I don't think hops is uh, a requirement to be in beer. And she was like, no, it does. And I go, but Budweiser and all that stuff, like you can't taste the hops at all. Right. So so sure shit, we did Uncle Google search, and beer without hops is called Gruet. Uh, and it's like an old world drink. I had no idea. But yeah, new beer, you know, just everyday beer has to have hops in it. To be, yeah. to be called beer. Yeah, there's like those five <clears throat> essential ingredients or whatever number of ingredients. That sounds gross, though. Oh, like the hops, I guess, would help hide some other flavors that might not be good. I, I don't really know. The bitter is probably there for some reason. I don't I literally know. Have no, I have no idea. Uh, it might be like barley wine, which is a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. 
I don't really know how that factors in, but that's barley wine's gross. I've never had it. <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> Why are you chuckling back there, Miller? Because it is absolutely terrible, and it, it is what you think it is. Whenever you go to drink it, and you're like, I'm not going to like this. Well, you go ahead and you drink it anyways, and you're like, yep, sure as shit. I don't like it. <laughs> well, do you want, you know, like 14% beer? Like, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, not even carbonated. It's gross. It's, it's not ideal. It's not All an right. Axman's beer. Okay. <laughs> I wonder what the Axman beer would of choice would be. I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. It would no, need to be. I don't I think they like had a lot of options. Low, low, something that's good warm. Ugh. Oh god. Like a, I don't even know, like a sour beer. Oh, I freaking hate sour beers. I I <laughs> thought I was gonna like them, but geez, Louise, they're terrible. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not your usual beer. No, sour, not at all. Sour beers are dead. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's gross. All right, so the reason we got you on here not to ramble on about beer, which we could do for fucking days. Um, sure. la- last episode. We were talking about Mike Miller found an excerpt from a book about uh, patina, and what did, what did it say? Seventy five years for something to have patina on it, it had to be seventy five years old. Is that correct? That's what it said. And of course, I'm searching here, and I can't find the book that I read that in. But basically, what it said is that in order for a tool to be considered to have the proper patina on it, it had to be at least 75 years old. And so I brought that up just as, hey, I read this in passing, because obviously we have a lot of old tools. We have a lot of old axes um, between the three of us and, and all the other knuckleheads that are out there in the axe community. And so it was just something that I found a little interesting, because obviously I don't know all the specifics with that, but that seemed... It just seemed like it was possibly off, and I don't know all the different terminology or the levels or the specifications or all that stuff, if we're going to say, oh, yeah, that is definitely has the correct patina. So that's how we got on that and just started talking about it. So, <laughs> And, so again, I can't find it in the book that I read it, so I don't know. But that's how we got on it. I'm pretty sure it was in the axe to grind, but I, I don't see it in there. I just remember I was it was a white manual that you were looking at, not that that matters or anything. Um You said it was by the by an older guy. Um oh shit, what was his name? That doesn't matter. So we have uh Eric here to set the set the record straight on Patina. If something is seventy five years or less, does it not have Patina on it? <laughs> well if you contact the International Patina Committee Mm. Mm. They would clearly say, how dare you contact me with such a request. Uh, that's That seems odd. I feel like you should probably have to define patina first to then get to some magical date that uh, gets to that level. But, no, you could patina anything at any time whenever you want it's just, it's insane. 
you could make something look like it has patina in, you know, like three hours. Uh, it's not necessarily the real patina, obviously. Right, right, right. You know, it looks the part. So, what, I know that you mentioned this before, um, where you've seen people like post pictures or videos on YouTube or whatever that have this like fluorescent orange patina yes. on there. Oh, good. So what exactly are they using to get that? Cause I, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't really know for sure, but, um, I think it's just, it's some acid that then you just quickly expose to water and you're, you're good to go there. You could also use, um, hydrogen peroxide and salt. Really? That'll quickly rust something. Uh, but it's just, it's bright orange and it's very thin. It's just a surface layer that you could wipe off with your finger but that's where you could you could kind of fake that patina. If you just get that thin layer and then spray it with some oil, mm-hmm. uh, it it looks really close to being a, an old patina. That's um that's part of the process. The, the hydrogen peroxide and salt. That's part of the process for rust gluing something. I rust glued a um, uh, tomahawk a long time ago. Cold steel tomahawk. Yeah. Yeah, and rust blue is just a type of uh, oxidation. More controlled, obviously. So that's what I think they're using to have those ridiculous thumbnails, uh, where it just looks like a Cheeto. (laughs) People click on it because it looks cool. Oh, totally. Like, those videos have more views than, like, my entire channel combined. Like, it's just very attractive, let's say, to to somebody just randomly surfing the Internet. Be like, no, how? Oh, my God, how is it possible? You so removed material? My God. Let's segue into your channel. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get down to the real question, what everybody wants to know. What when? would you like to know? When will we see a hand tool rescue axe mm-hmm. rescue? Um, I know it's say, difficult. I know it's tough, man. Well, this is, it's good. It's good. It's tough. Super tough. I'm going to do just a solid resin handle to drive people nuts. Hey, watch it. Watch it, motherfucker. <laughs> like, it'll be like this, but all resin. Just all resin, and then I just, on the first swing, just snap it in half and be like, guys, I did it. I nailed it. <laughs> just to drive people crazy, just so I get those comments of annoying people. Saturday, and, if you leave that resin in the sun, it will, bend, it will bend like a limp noodle. Really? This is, oh, my it, God. I was so fucking embarrassed, dude. So, the, <laughs> so t- tell the story, killer. All right, so we're sitting... We're at the Pathfinder gathering at the Axe Junkie tent, and we're sitting there talking to Dave Canterbury and Craig Roost, and Roy's got a few of his pieces laid out in front of Dave. Like, he he just pulled them out of his table, which was sitting in the sun, and he's got these pieces sitting down in front of Dave, and Dave reaches over and grabs one of Roy's pieces and holds it up like this, 
and the thing just bent and slowed <laughs> <laughs> like a cartoon. Oh god! That's Seriously. So it was like August that they had been in the sun for six to eight hours or something, right. and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to show Dave Canberry some of my epoxy handles." I showed him at Blade Show, and. Uh, he, he just randomly picked one up and it just happened to have the epoxy right there on the, on the swell. And it literally, like Chris was saying, bent over like a U shape. And he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And I go, uh, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. What the fuck? That's hilarious. I would have loved that. Oh, it was, it was. You like, should have tried to use it and just let it like flop around like this. <laughs> it would have been amazing. So I get, maybe, maybe I won't do the solid solid resin handle then. Just don't Fine. put it in the sun. Yeah, keep it out and, of the well, By the time I get around to it, it'll be negative 700 outside. So oh, it'll just shatter into nothing, <laughs> to dust. I wonder if it will. I wonder if that epoxy freezes if it would shatter. That would be the greatest video ever. Yeah, we can, we can try it out. Liquid nitrogen in the handle. Oh, my yeah. God. Like waste build it. so much money and time. Yeah, make it look like it was this huge production, and then make sure you have a really good high-resolution <laughs> camera. So yeah, and just try to cool. try to cut a toothpick, and then it shatters. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just can't handle it. Yeah, that's the concern. I still, I do want to do, I have a bunch of hewing axes that I've, that I want to do a restoration on. But I want to do like the offset handle. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, so I got to get my shit together to do that at some point. I have lots of I have lots of elm where I am. So I've never I used elm. I could use that as the, it's probably like the third best after hickory and then ash. Maybe I have lots yep. of ash too where I am. So I could use something like that locally rather than go and buying a piece of hickory, yeah. which I guess I could do also. So uh, are are y'all's ash trees uh, dying out also? Uh, from the emerald ash borer? Yeah. No. Really? Yes. Uh, Saskatoon's like one of the very few remaining North American cities that have elm and ash all over the place, and it's like highly protected. Oh wow! And it'll <laughs> it'll be it'll be gone. It, it'll be gone. You can't you can't stop it. But we have uh, yeah, we don't have the emerald ash borer. We don't have Dutch elm disease, uh, but they are like just south of us, and it wants to attack. Uh, mm. So it's nice working with those woods uh, when I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I still have the sawmill and everything to cut my own stuff. That's uh, awesome. Just uh, hope that in, you know, 10, 15 years, it's just like shitty. I don't even know what's left. Poplar? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it'll yeah. be disappointing. Like one of the softest hardwoods available. <laughs> yeah, there's not much else. Here. Everything else is just softwood because it's so cold. Hey, Miller, have you ever run across anything in uh, your books and research or whatever um, about old manufacturers using ash instead of hickory? Because typically it's only hickory, right? 
in those Predom- old in, in the in the old catalogs. Predominantly, it was hickory, and you had to have the 17 uh, rings per inch in order to be able to meet the specifications for what they wanted for the strength and the rebound and everything like that. They did use ash that came later, mm-hmm. much later. I mean, we're talking probably 60s into 70s by the time that everything from an axe historical perspective had pretty much died. And I think that was partly due to the fact of manufacturing costs. And then at that time, you know, everything was using hickory, any kind of um, basic hand tool, you know, garden, wood variety, you know, logging, blah, blah, blah. They're all using hickory handles. So you didn't have that much. So they went to ash, which was, uh, you know, considered the second tier or one that would, uh, would work. Just about as well. A lot of guys like ash. Um, and then you had elm. Elm obviously is a very, very strong wood, mm-hmm. very dense, very heavy, almost like an oak, but still will do handles better. So those are going to be your top three. But there is mention of the ash in there, but predominantly in the older ones, so say like pre-1940, it's pretty much all hickory. 95% second growth hickory. Don't they use don't they use a lot of elm over in Europe because that's like their hardest wood or whatever? Yeah, is that just yeah. North American or uh, that, who's the uh, the gentleman? Um, what was his name? John. What's his last name? The, the blacksmith guy over there, Autine. A U T A. Oh yeah. yeah. He's he's big. He uses only elm because that's what they have over there where he's at. Which <laughs> I apologize, I don't remember exactly where he's at, but it does make good handles. It's just a little bit heavier. It's a little bit denser, and you can notice the weight difference, and you have to get on to that, especially if you're used to, say, using a really thin uh, hickory handle that has a little bit more whip to it. The elm is basically like swinging a little 2 by 4 2-by-2 almost. It's it's a different world, but it will work. Yeah, so tested it. I got tons of it. So for you guys out there that don't know what the Janka scale is. Yeah, I think Elm's Elm's like maybe around a, a thousand or something like that. At least the ones that we have here. And then Hickory's like, what, two thousand something? Uh, hang on, I'm looking it up. This is my Janka knowledge. <laughs> okay, let's see if I'm right. Because there, there's... Uh, we have, we have American elm and Siberian elm. We don't have rock elm or red elm. So hickory is 1820. Ooh. Um, red oak. Wait, so let's back up. Ash is 1320. So that's my, that's my, uh, those are the only two woods. Actually, take that back. I use three woods. Um, but it stops it. Ash. <laughs> the resin tree? Yeah, it's really, really fast growing, so you know, you gotta yeah, be real super. freaking, you, you gotta be real careful with it. Yeah. So, hard, I do actually use hard maple, um, and that's 1450 on the Janka scale. Um, I think Elm's less, Elm's definitely less than that. I, I don't, this. Come on. Get it's on. Not, it's not Wood pulling it up on. It's not even pulling it up here. It's like no one cares about Elm on this oh. freaking on Wikipedia. Elm looks super cool. There was a somewhere there was a, a 
chart. I've seen the Jenka chart before. You can't just Google image Jenka chart. Yeah, you can. Um, but not, not every wood is represented on every single scale. It's just, you know, it's a matter of just, just go to wooddatabase.com. What is the hardness of my wood? Uh, wood, wood, it's, I, I was going to give you shit over that, but that's a real thing. That's a real website. Oh, what it's is the, the best wood. It's the best wood website in the world. All the, like the modulus of elasticity. Oh, what? That's what you, okay, so if you're talking, uh, why hickory is amazing, it has a high modulus of elasticity, meaning it can bend a lot before it breaks. You don't give. Uh, or at least higher than comparable North American woods that are reasonably accessible. So those ratios of like elasticity to hardness to lightness to whatever, uh, make it delicious. For X purposes. Elastic, elastic modulus for there Elm. There you go. There you go. Uh, so there, it's one, one million three hundred and forty thousand feet, wait, pound feet per square inch. So on the, it doesn't matter what that is. The Janka scale is 830. <laughs> That's what we were comparing at first. Janka 830. So it's 830. Yeah, it's just under a thousand. It's not that hard of wood. No. No. But apparent um, crushing but, strength. Yeah, like those are the those are the factors you wanna you wanna see. You know, like you could sort the wood by like all woods by elasticity and then truly find like the most elastic wood and you ah. maybe use that as a handle and see if that's just like weirdly different. That I did not even know that existed. That's how silly that's what, I am. I knew I knew there was a reason what why I'm we here. got you on here. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. To tell you about wood modulus of elasticity. <laughs> Shit. So let's look up hickory. Um, it has two two point two million two hundred sixty thousand pound feet. Yeah, so per like double. Double the capacity of elm. Right, right, right. And compared to ash, I would I would assume ash is probably halfway between the two. Let's look. Let's look. This is a really good website. Yeah. Welcome to the future of wood learning. I wonder, so what were like Asian or African accent handles made out of? Uh, Mike Miller, go. As far as I know, with everything that Collins sent, they did not send handles down to South America. They had the big South American market. Yeah. Yes, but, but you know, samples. before, before there was, you know, I'm talking, let's say a thousand years ago oh. in, in China. That's a, that's a question that I do not know about the ancient <laughs> like Chinese. What? What what wood was there or Japanese like what was their preference for handles for choppy related tools? Maybe it was bamboo. Could have been bamboo. I'm just kidding. Or even the eighteen let's say eighteen fifties in China, like I or Japan. Like I wonder what they're up to. 
I don't even know what kind of trees they have. You're the you're the plant guy. What kind of trees they have over there? Just <laughs> just as normal indigenous species. Uh, they have you know softwoods, hardwoods. Narrows it down for you. Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> They've got. A- <laughs> they have live trees. Okay, they live in the city. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah, they have. Uh, oh, I forget the name. Starts with a P. Is a is a very common softwood that they use. I wonder if that would ever be used as a handle. I don't know. I feel like that would be stupid of the Japanese to do that. In terms of hardwoods, yeah, I have like they have oaks and things like that, but I really don't know. I don't I got, know either. I don't know. I want you to tell me as the axe experts. We're Americans. You know, there is also, so if you sort on the wood database, if you sort by the hardest wood on earth, it's South American. Uh, and it's, it's called yeah. the, it's called the axe breaker. What? I don't know if I believe you. It's not called the, it's, it's like Brazilian rosewood, right? No. False. False. All right, let's look. Denied. Denied. Uh, yeah, sort it, sort it quickly. I By think the it's called hardness? like a, yeah, K Bracho or something like that. Um, it's past lignum vitae in terms of the hardness. Like this wood sinks in water immediately. It's like steel. Yes. Uh, so I don't know how. This is your website. This isn't mine. Um, so I can start, start with the search. Does it like auto fill the search in if you start no. searching? So, okay. What do you want me to, what is it called? T- type like Q U E B R A C H O maybe. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Cubacho. Yeah. Janka hardness 4570. <laughs> it Jeez. wins. It's the world's hardest known wood. What's the elasticity on that though? Like negative, like just looking at it and it shatters. No, it's uh 2.4 million. Oh shit. Okay, so that's a new. If you ever got your hands on that, that like might that's be the a, ultimate one right there. It might. The handle would weigh more than the axe head, but <laughs> you're not breaking. I've never heard of this wood. Yeah, I've never seen it. I don't even know what it really looks like. I've seen lignum vitae, and that's used a lot in antique tools, but I've literally, until I went on this website, I had no idea this this wood existed. So and I don't even know how, how large does it get. It should say that at the top-ish part. You know, it's uh, like tree, a, Yeah, yeah, it says tree size, 30 to 50 feet tall, uh, 1 to 3 feet diameter on the trunk, oh, okay. South American... Um, so listen, so this is, uh, this is, uh, interesting right here. It says workability, difficult to work on account of its density and irregular grain, high cutting resistance, as well as pronounced blunting effect on cutters. <laughs> yeah. It probably, it probably has silica in it. Like a lot of annoying woods. Um, so yeah, I've never heard of it. <laughs> No uh, draw knife for you. Must use Oh, no you can draw. yeah, just sharpen the draw knife. A lot of a lot of tropical 
a lot of tropical woods have silica in them. Uh, I didn't know that. Which is basically, obviously, glass. And it glass is harder than steel, so it dulls, uh, it dulls cutters and other blades very quickly when trying to work with these things. It's incredibly annoying. I've, yeah, I've not experienced any of that, and uh, I've you never should, heard of... Do what? You should, probably, you should probably get a piece, see how it goes. Are you even allowed to import this stuff? I mean, it has to be I'm, in the states, right? Or in I'm Canada guess or whatever. Probably no. 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 But uh, I'll call my guy. <laughs> the guy in the <laughs> stall. I got the guy. He just comes up my. He comes. He comes to my door in a trench coat and opens it up. And he's like, "You want that wood selection? Hey, you want my wood? I got some wood for you." <laughs> There's there. Uh, there was a guy in town here who. His job was he was a wood broker. Really? Yeah. So he would broker deals on your behalf with people who had the wood that you wanted uh, and would get it over here for you to use and pay him for his services. Uh, I don't know how, like, you have to just be a guy who's old and has a million contacts to be like, oh, yeah, I saw a piece of... Uh, of a lignum vitae back in 74 in this guy's garage. <laughs> get that. Let me get that for you. That kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's weird. What do you scrounge around on back there, Miller? So if we're talking about these handles and the hickory and stuff, this is from the Kelly, what is this, Catalog 30, which is from 1925. So it says, handles labeled with our brands. Hickory Handles, which was known as the Bulldog, which was the second growth. And then it had Perfect, which it just says Extra. And then it says Elastic Hickory, number one, Corduroy, number one, and then Whipcord, which was number two. So I don't know exactly what that means. Obviously, they had different grades of hickory. Yeah. But there were no uh, no mentions of ash, at least in this at, uh, at this time. They speak their own language. But yeah, that's interesting. Probably though. if it's if it's like rifts on perfect uh, material, maybe that's the highest grade. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I rarely get to work with hickory. It's not a local wood at all. We um, hickory for us down here, it's pretty plentiful, but finding it in the thickness for axe handles is not easy. Right. So I use five five quarter thick. So it's not it's not a standard cut. Mostly it's four quarter or eight quarter. And for yeah. you guys that can't do math, that's one inch or two inch, like Chris Killinger. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So five quarter is an inch and a quarter, um, and that's just to give the the swell of the handle a nice good thick feel. Um, but finding that cut. Uh, finding that thickness, excuse me, in a flat cut at five quarter, pretty difficult to do. Yeah. And I get I get hit up all the time. Where do you get all your Where do you get your lumber? How do you source it? Are you ordering it off of the internet or eBay? No. Right. You go to You go to a local sawmill and you say, Do you have this? And they're going to say, No. Okay. Can you make it for me? Yes. Yeah. Here's the upcharge. Here's the minimum board feet you're going to have to order. 
So mm-hmm. it, it's not, you know, it's not so as it's simple a, as it's not no. as simple as going to freaking Home Depot and you know, get, so, grabbing a piece of wood. So are you looking? Are you looking for like quarter sawn? Flat sawn, flat cut. Flat sawn. Yeah. Like the full board. Or so like, what do you what do you mean by flat? Because I'm just thinking sawmill terms. So flat. Like which direction are the rings going? Whenever you're looking at it, it's going parallel with the cutting edge of the axe. So you want that middle section? So it's um. Yes. It's yes, the heart. I know. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Uh, cathedral. So like cathedraled up um, is really really good. So with, the wood itself would be, you don't want it fully straight grained, or you want it fully straight grained? You want, want it. That's what I would assume. Okay. I get you. I get you. So sawmill so, terms, that would be, wouldn't that be either quarter sawn or no. rip quarter sawn? No. Quarter saw is on the edges, and whenever you're looking at a quarter sawn board, the grain is going... 90 degrees perpendicular to the cutting edge. So the flat sawn is like right there in the middle. Right. right. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, uh, board feet coming out of a tree. So whenever I'm, whenever I'm at the sawmill picking it, it takes me forever because you got to shuffle through because they're just cutting the freaking, right. they're just cutting, they're just running what? board feet. That's what they want to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know they don't care about little freaking vintage axe works that wants a couple of select boards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and and it's interesting because the three of us we're in a world right now where that it, it we call it internet perfect grain. Okay, so no no run out, um, perfectly parallel with the cutting edge. And as Chris has talked about and as Mike has talked about, um, that wasn't the case back in the day. I mean, this is a new thing. Um, and to Mike's yes. point, he, you know, he's there. They were more concerned about what growth rings. How many did you say, Miller? Uh, typically, you'll find in the catalogs a minimum of 17 per inch is what they wanted. A minimum of 17. Right. That, that so was like whoa. the golden number. If you could have that like 15 to 19. 17 was perfect. That's what the old timers thought that that was going to be the single best handle as far as strength, durability, elasticity, whatever other adjective that you want to add in, that that was going to be it. Sensualness. Right. <laughs> Moist. The moistness. Sorry. Yeah, you don't want it. You don't want it too dry. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I get mine. So I used to, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, I used to get my lumber uh, from a, a sawmill that had a kiln um, and that they would get it down to 7% and it would take three to four weeks to do it. And what happens whenever you're drying that wood that quickly, you get tons and tons of ingrain checking and, and surface checking. Um, then I switched to a different sawmill. They still kiln dry it, but it's a solar kiln. So it's actually like a greenhouse. So it I takes have, a lot longer. I have one of those. Oh, um, I, I hate you. <laughs> uh, like just, just the home built one or like a professional real solar kiln? No, the, these are like, they're running tons and tons of board feet. They're, they're oh, legit. Yeah. Legit one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do work well. Even if you built one like I have in my backyard, it's fantastic and cheap and easy. So how long does it take for you to dry out a piece of wood? In the for kiln? me, I, I only really have the summer mm-hmm. uh, since it's too cold otherwise, and I don't supplement the heat anyway else other than sun. Uh, so if we're talking two inches thick, it's about three to four months to get down to 8%. Uh, but so, yeah, that, it's that's, not that bad. Yeah, so that that's pretty on par with what my mill was doing. Um, yeah. So obviously I'm getting a much thinner, it's not two inches. So they were taking about a month to a month and a half. Yeah, probably. Maybe two at the tops. I mean, just kind of depending on what else, like temperature and yada yada, all those other uh, other factors. But it's definitely um, a superior product over traditional kiln drying, and I didn't know that because I was a I was a woodworker for the longest time, and we just got everything from you know a local kiln that was super fast dried down to seven percent whatever, and you just machine it up and. You know, you're dealing with lots and lots of board feet, so you just cut off the freaking all the checked up wood. But for me now, like every single piece of wood is very valuable because it's expensive. And from what I was talking about earlier, hand picking all of my freaking lumber, it takes forever. And I and I covet all the wood that I have because it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to, to get. And whenever yeah. I when and every time I've gone to the law, the the sawmill, I buy more and more board feet because I'm just like, well, it's here in front of me. I mean, it's just like yeah, anything. you have it's, to do it when you have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you got to buy it when you see it. Yeah, that's what you could think about chopping some hickory up, like some random logs that someone's cutting down somewhere and drying them yourself. One day, maybe. Maybe. It's fun. But, yeah, just the process of at night in the kiln, nothing's going on. The wood can relax, absorb mm-hmm. some moisture back, and, and, like, take its time. I think that's what kind of helps. Yeah, it's still not It's still not a vacuum kiln, which is the ultimate. I have not ultimate. heard of that. Oh, come on. <laughs> God. God. Vacuum kiln is literally sorcery. <laughs> It's just, I don't understand. So, it's it's a giant, think of a shipping container, about that size. It's a microwave, that size. That is also, the wood is also held in a vacuum in that chamber. So, it's like a vacuum microwave. uh, And the entire log can be dried in three days. The entire log, they don't even... And it's, there's no, there's no checking, there's no warping. It is insane. It's insane. I've never heard of this. This is what, this is what you want. There's a guy, uh, Canadian Woodworks on Instagram. Instagram, Uh, Instagram's dead. uh, Or on YouTube. He's, uh, he shows that off all the time. You can check it out there, but... It's like the standard, the gold standard now for uh, drying because it dries from the inside out. I've never heard. You won't get the case case hardening or the case drying. Like it's just a fantastic method of drying. 
Have you ever heard of this stuff, Miller? Killer? Any of y'all? I saw it. It it originally, if I remember correctly, it originally started with the process for making electric or telephone poles. They took those and they would cut them. They would do the creosote or whatever the additive was. And they basically, just like he said, they pulled these into a huge, it looked like a shipping container. And they would do that, that process in there. So then somebody saw that and they're like, well, if we can do this, with these telephone poles or these electric poles, then we can do this other process with this, you know, this already cut woods and you don't even have to lumber it or anything. You're basically, you're pulling that thing in there and you're going to do that process. And that's where I saw that. And I believe if I remember correctly, that's where it got its origins from. So how long ago did this thing, how long was it developed? Is this a uh, relatively new uh, thing? Old? What? I don't, I don't, that's a good question. I, I don't, Whenever, like, microwaves were invented in the 40s, so later than that? <laughs> That's all I could tell you. It's, it's fairly, I'm going to assume it's fairly new, especially at the price point that someone who has a little bit of a sawmill business can maybe invest in one. Like, you can buy one for $50,000 or something like that. Um, it's much easier than, you know, $5 million dollars. But uh, it's obviously not accessible to every human being. I wish I could afford one myself. But I don't have enough. I don't have enough of like a sawmill turnover to warrant needing lumber out every three days. So, do you sell lumber, or do you just I, mill I it up for yourself? You do. That's cool. Yeah, I mainly just it's just a side hobby because mm-hmm. uh, I need more of those. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's, it's fun. People come by, they pick and choose whatever they want, and it's pretty simple. How come no videos on sawmilling? Um, when I built the new workshop that I'm in right now, the sawmill used to be in the workshop because I'm an idiot. And, (laughs) um, well, it's also because it's negative 40. I'm not going to sawmill when it's negative 40 outside. Like, I hate it. So I moved it outside and then I, uh, we did a bunch of like landscaping and stuff this summer. So I never got around to starting the sawmill up. I kind of want to do it this weekend. Uh, but we shall see. That's one. Yeah. Interesting. It just needed, uh, it needs more time. It's electric. I converted it to electric. So I just had to have all the electrical done and all that kind of stuff to get it ready. That does but, not sound uh, like fun. No, but uh, it's pretty much ready to go, and I'll just cut some stuff up and throw it in the uh, kiln, see what happens. I'd like to see a tour of the kiln, please. <laughs> the kiln? Uh, I've done that a few times on Instagram, but I can do it when I actually load it up with some wood. I mostly just have apple and cherry now because I'm sick of cutting elm and ash. It's too much of it. Stresses me. So, Mr. Miller, not to change subjects or anything, but um, you're the acquisition guy. Has anything mm-hmm. uh, has anything come in the mail recently for you? Uh, yeah, actually, I got this one here yesterday, which I was excited to get more so for the handle. While we're talking about handles, I mean, what we can't have perfect timing for this. 
So this, if you guys can see that, is an original Craftsman handle mm-hmm. as the paper logo on there. Yes. It's beautiful. The, we got some paint on the handle. Obviously, guys have various opinions about that. Oh, my gosh, there's paint. Your really? Hipster. Oh, my gosh. That's like, that's like a whole thing? Oh, it's a massive thing, yeah. So, And then what's cool like, is that people care too much. <laughs> there's your uh, there's your head. You can see that with the, the double nice, oval. The double very circle. Nice. So, so is that a Craftsman Connie? Yes, it is, sir. Oh, I'll take that. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> Eric. I'll trade you Eric's straight up for nice. that leather. That is very nice looking. Uh, leather I don't know about that. Okay. That was the only uh, new thing that came in. Oh, no, I forgot there was the, uh, the Flint Edge Pulaski. Nothing really too crazy to talk about. But I had to have that for the Flint Edge collection. So are you doing a whole... Flint Edge build or whatever for someone, or this for your set for you, or what? It'll be for me, and then one day that'll either go to somebody or to the Smithsonian with everything else. So Eric, <laughs> yes. he, he's not joking. Um, no, the, the, co- the the collection that uh, Mike Miller has of new old stock stuff is it's fucking mind blowing. Is mind blowing? It is museum. Uh-huh. It is Smithsonian. Worthy, it, it it's crazy. Seriously, to, that's nuts. I gotta see that. I gotta see it. So we. I you just know, have my I just have my massive collection of new old stock vintage Grand Fords Brooks axes. Just you know, <laughs> hang. I just got tons of them. Like I don't even know what to do with them. I just do scrap. Just scrap them. <laughs> scrap them. Scrap them. So. I don't know if you remember the conversation that you and I had over the summer. Um, you, I showed you a picture of something, and you're like, I've got buckets of axes, or I had buckets of axes because I go out to all these farms and whatever. Yes. So do you still have those, or, like, what's going on? We kind of no. need to know. No, I'm an idiot. Uh, no, I only have – oh, God, I don't even – Maybe like thirty. Like it's not even a number anymore. <laughs> that matters. So it's a, very sad. So what were you talking about over the summer? Like, like did you have at one time a whole yes. bunch of? Yes. So I used to have probably like two hundred fifty accents, and then I just I sold them off. I don't think I don't think any of them were of of like really extreme value. I just sold them locally here on uh, Kijiji, which is the Canadian Craigslist. Kijiji? Yeah, it's called Kijiji. I don't know why. I have no idea. I don't. I don't know. eBay owns it. I I just. I have no idea. It's a horrendous thing. Yeah. So those are gone, unfortunately. I know. If I only knew at the time. Well, that's the thing. Um, like, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not in the knowledge zone of if it would be massively valuable. Uh, I know just a few, like, Black Raven things or any kind of embossing is generally mm-hmm. higher value. But they were mostly just kind of shitty accents. <laughs> In my opinion, maybe there was a billion-dollar exit that I sold off because I'm a loser. 
Well, that like that's that's the appeal of this hobby, right? You can yes. pick up you can pick up heads for five, ten, fifty, you know, with a low amount of money, and it's covered it in rust. And you get it back to the shop. You take a wire wheel to it, and you might have something that's really valuable. Um, yes. And it doesn't have to be a black raven like that one. Yes. That one that Mike Miller just showed us. It's got a couple of really cool things going on. So it's a Connecticut. I don't know if you know what a Connecticut pattern is. Um, I do. But, well, okay. So Connecticut's are really, <laughs> really hot right now. Um, original handle. So that one's probably, what era would you put? Like probably the 50s, Miller? I would probably say the 50s to the 60s, yeah. Yeah. So original handles, uh, and especially Mike's world, are way more valuable than just a head. Um right. But to find the double oval on a Connecticut that's craftsman, like you start adding these things up, yeah. every, little, every little step becomes more and more valuable. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Miller would... I wish, I wish it was more in the know. Well, you've got a big head. I'm sure we can fill it with some knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that melon. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's because I'm like hunched over like this. <laughs> if I just like sit like a normal human being, then you're just all beard. Then I'm just a beard guy. Yeah, my my I have a lot of like not a lot by a lot I mean like four hewing axes. Uh, that's pretty much it in terms of hewing axes. So like hewing axes, little ones, or are we talking like like a broad axe? Like a broad axe and some smaller hewing axes. We just talked about those last uh, episode. Mike oh, Miller's yeah. got some really good broad axes. I've got zero because I hate them. You hate them? I hate them. They're too axy. It's too much axe. The I handle, just... the axe ratio is totally off. You can't make any money on them. That's <laughs> it's the key. not. It's not like nobody. I guess nobody wants them. Like they're not the, doing their own. The, the uh, carpenter doesn't cabins. want to be bothered. With having to make a handle for him is what it is. Stolen Kidja. <laughs> That's why I want to do it. It's just, it's weird. Like, with the offset weirdness, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I would assume that they steam those to get that profile, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I just got to find, I got to find, like, an elm cut that is, like, the grain somehow magically conforms to the shape that I need. On those ones back there, Miller, do those have uh, offset handles, or are they just straight handles? The one does have a slight offset. Oh, yeah, I see one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, yeah. I don't know if you guys can see that. It does have that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, that's cool. Yeah, it'd be steam bending. Yeah. It's much easier than trying to find that piece, but it's neat. Just the tip. Just, yeah, just the tip. No. Yeah, none of my none of my broad axes have any. I don't think they have any uh, markings on them. The ones that I've kept. I don't know anything about them. I, I know that there are a couple of major manufacturers, but it's just one of those things. I mean, just like you're talking about, there's so many things to know and understand. It's just that's one more thing that, if it's not in my mind, 
it's just one less thing I got to be concerned yes. with. Yes. Yeah. Like I use, I still love hand planes is, is like the number one thing I collect. Mm-hmm. And I still know more about hand planes than kind of anything else in my workshop at the moment. But when I'm restoring something, I just try to get into the zone of that tool as much as possible. Uh, in terms of learning and finding what's valuable and what's not valuable. But then after, I basically like forget it when I move on to the next tool just because yeah. I, I can't, my brain, yeah. like maxed out the capacity. I have to delete old files. <laughs> it's not, there's nothing left. There's no room. I have no choice. Hey, um, not to change subjects here, but I, uh, neither one of you all responded to me. Well, I shouldn't say, I'm looking for a small fire axe, and you just had a bunch of dots. That's how you, you've got one? <laughs> what is a small, like a fire camp axe? Is this what this means? So it wasn't really a camp axe. Basically what the small or, fire axes were that you'll see here in the States were the ones that were primarily on school buses. Interesting. Actually, they had them on the back of the school bus so that if something happened... You would go and you would be able to get these, and they range in size from right around 24 to 28 inches with about a two-pound, two-and-a-half-pound head on it. And a lot of them were totally painted red. Some were red with a white speck at the bottom so that you could see them at the back of the bus. But those are what typically get called, well, they got like three or four different names, a boy's fire axe because it's in that boy's like two, two-and-a-quarter, two-and-a-half-pound range. Uh, the school bus fire axe, and then they get called a small fire axe. And I've also heard them called um, a trenching fire axe is what I've had a couple old-timers call them. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think that name is actually right. But I've had a couple guys say that that was a trenching fire axe. And I think, again, as you talk to people, you got to be careful with... Um, with maybe it's an axe when they were in the war, in the trenches. Who knows? But but that would make sense because you wouldn't want to have something with a big four or five six pound head if you're going to be you know you need something a little bit smaller to be able to do whatever you had to do. But where to Roy's point? Yeah, I do have a few of those. I mean, I I have, I have one, but it's not available, so there's no reason to respond. How like big is the head on it, and what shape does it look like? Uh, all right. Is it Connecticut pattern, guys? <laughs> Don't sass us. Okay. Is it, uh, you know, twimble, twimble doodle pattern? Is that what it is? Mm. I'd, say, I'd say it's like sort of like a Michigan with a freaking point on the back, wouldn't you say? Oh, it has the, the stabby The pick stab? on it. The pick on it, yeah. Mm. I don't know if I have. Let me get my, my axes off the wall. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's got axes on the wall. No, like it's it's horrendous. I'll show you. <laughs> I was trying to find mine. Not back here. It must be up in the other garage. Yeah, I wish. Oh god. I'm gonna die. <laughs> Good grief! Jeez. So everybody, everybody listening, right? I was just staring at each other. Miller. Oh, god. And Eric is sitting through That's not important. Sorting through his... I got the axes. 
These are the axes. <laughs> oh. Are they stuck together? What? what? How are they? Yeah. How are they stuck together? Uh, just like wire. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> He's kind of wired together. Like I don't know what to do with them. Fifteen pounds of axes. <laughs> yeah, like they're all shitty. I don't know. Do these are these anything that matter? Yes, that matters. That's awesome. They they all matter. There's no. this one. This one says Walters. Okay. Oh, common in Canada. Yeah. I don't know what that means. That looks like a council that you're touching right now. Look on the back side of it. This just says USA and the pound. Yeah, pound flip it over. Flip it over. It's got a stamp on the other side. Yes. It looks like a big C with something going down through it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah probably. That's a, that's a council. Of interest. Mm-hmm. This says R R Dex. I don't know what R- that R- shit is. Yeah. Just R Dex. Oh, this has uh Oh, what the hell's that? It says smarts. What? It just says smarts. Four four oh. four. A lot of guys This is probably uh, would... some Canadian. I have no idea. These are, this is what I got. That's what I got. It's all that's left other than the ones that are just like on the floor. You just have axes on the floor? Yeah, it's a, it's a safety precaution. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want them falling on you. Like, come on. Oh, here we go. Mike Miller. So for those guys out there, Mike Miller was gone this entire time and he's been presumably in his basement getting a shit ton of axes. Does right. he have does he have more than seven axes? Uh, uh, <laughs> so here's your typical right. fire axe, so that's about a six pound head. Yes. Here's what you're looking at for the Very small tiny. one. Tiny. Very tiny. Twenty four inch handle. Mm. Whole thing painted red. You got a little bit of white at the end there. What's like that? What's that stamped with, Miller? It says Warren on it. Ah, uh-huh. here's one that says uh, basically the same thing. This is Evansville. It says good service with the the round logo on there. If you guys could see that. That one looks a little bit bigger than the Warren. It's I'm ever so slightly bigger. Yeah. About the same. But then for comparison, then if you take your standard boy's axe, this would be your wood slasher boy's axe. Okay. Compared. So similar. Obviously, you got a lot more meat back here. But for the most part, if you're just talking straight up head, pretty similar. So that's sort of how they get that name. But So if any axe... Is a fire axe, is it more valuable than its non-fire counterpart? It's all, it's all an individual <laughs> thing. They're, you will, they're all different. They're all different, and then you have guys that really love fire axes. You have guys that yeah. love Puget Sound. There's no set. The community hasn't decided that fire is now worth more. It depends on who makes the YouTube videos the prior week. <laughs> I wonder, I've always wondered 
how much of an effect that has on on the price of things. It's huge. It's massive. It's real. But but who is setting those? Like who does those? Is it like a restoration video or just a handle video or? Well, it depends on who's doing it. Like so, one of the mo- mo- more popular ones is Norlin. Norlin brand axes. So like Dave Canterbury and in Wrangler Star both did videos on those axes. Right. The market just went crazy. Right. So uh, Wrangler Star did a couple restorations on some saddle axes, and then Dave was yeah. just talking about them. Everybody so, wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so he also, Wrangler Star also did, back in the day, uh, best, act, best axe ever, and it was uh, a, a chemical, a Sager chemical axe, Puget Sound pattern, mm-hmm. and the value just went up overnight. Wow. Um, and and it's one guy's fucking opinion. Like yeah, he, he, that and that would be like the me, influence. Yeah, that would be like me saying this is the best axe ever, and who was who's gonna care? No one. Um, <laughs> but but if you have a following on the YouTubes, uh, I guess you know you're like you're important. I don't know. I don't yeah, use YouTube very often, so I don't know. I, I also think uh, if I remember correctly, like his. One of his earlier successful videos, or even just his most successful videos, are axe related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's probably so. Most of his subscribers are probably axe, at least well, axe interested. So it would it would tie in that if he releases an axe video, it's like oh shit, everyone's interested. So Wrangler Star used to be really, really cool, modern homesteading, urban homes, you know, whatever. And he used to do lots of tips and tricks and how-tos on axes, hand tool stuff. And it was a really good, informative channel. I mean, you got to take what he says with a grain of salt because he's not a fucking expert. I mean, he's just a guy out there using stuff. So it gave a good – it gave a lot of guys a good base knowledge of tools. And then – he became a YouTube star, and now he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't care about the tools. He just cares about cranking out content because that's how he's getting paid, I assume. Yeah. Like, like again, I say I don't know the guy, but I'm just making some general assumptions here. Um, don't you think that his channel's changed, Chris? A lot. Yeah. I don't, like, to the point that I don't even watch his shit anymore. Yeah, no, there's no reason to. Nah. Do you watch Do you watch this stuff, Miller? No. Have you ever? <laughs> no. <laughs> I watched one video. No, I take that back. So I watched one video where he talked about the Puget Sound being the best axe ever for everything, which of course is a total lie. Let me rephrase that. It's not a lie. It's some poor misinformation. If we want to get politically correct. And then he had the one where he used the the uh, the grinder. To sharpen mm-hmm. his axe, which obviously you can't do that, right? I mean, that's just taboo. Oh my gosh, you're going to ruin the temper and you're going to go down that hole, you know, yeah. hole with that. So I watched a couple of those. I watched the one where he, uh, he basically took Hoffman and put Hoffman on the map because this is the best axe now ever made. And then after that, I just, I just didn't watch. So yeah. he lost me when he, somebody sent him a Stanley number two. And he's 
doing a restoration on it and he's like i researched this this is the most thought after stanley plane ever well if you know anything about planes the number two is is rare but it's not as rare as a number one so when he said that it was just like no dude you did like three seconds of research and you came on here like an expert and popped out a video so see ya. Yes, this is the one we were talking about. This what is this a Stanley number one? It is a Stanley number one. It is the greatest, most sensual of all hand blends. Yeah, I think I saw that one where he restored it uh, and probably lowered its value. Was spray paint? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't follow the guy anymore. Just whatever. Yeah, don't don't touch some some hand planes. No no touchy. Yeah, no touchy. I actually had a Stanley number one that was broken half. Ooh. And I I sold it on eBay because it didn't fit in my collection because it wasn't pristine. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and it sold for like three hundred and eighty dollars. It was broken half. Yep. The parts. Everybody needs the parts. Yeah. Cause a lot of people I guess have found you know, half half a Stanley number one that they want to fill out. What what I don't I don't understand. I'm not a hand playing guy. Miller's not a hand playing guy. So what's the allure of the Stanley number one? What and what do the numbers even mean? Okay, I will very quickly show you, and then it will make sense. Big black This all you have to do is this. This. Oh God. Oh. Hold on. Oh my oh. god. So you can get the big one, but everyone wants the smallest one. And mm-hmm. they want to fill out the collection. That's really the main driving factor. So that's, did they just that's not all make, that really So did they just not make a lot of number ones? Uh no. No, the, the, it's just a lot of kids broke them. Yeah, it's just like a plane that shouldn't exist. No one really knows why it exists. Uh, it's so tiny that it, it's not very useful. It's one of those things. I'm with you. Stanley was really good at marketing. So this is my take on it. And it's probably, there's probably something about it somewhere. But Stan, I, my take is Stanley was really good at marketing. So they made all these these hand planes and then they, they, then they made um, variations of them. So you just kept selling hand planes. You know, like, um, so you'd have Stanley with the smooth bottom, but then you'd have the same planes with a corrugated bottom that were supposedly less friction on the wood. And so now you got, you know, you could put together what Eric has there twice. Well, yeah, they didn't, all the corrugated planes, like they didn't, they, there was never a Stanley number one corrugated, right? No. I don't even think there was a number two. I think it started well, as there was, was a two? Yeah. Yeah. So from a collector's standpoint, like, you have all these variations, types, and directions you could go with the whole Stanley plane collection, and it could get out of control quick. Like, yeah. And it's just, and it's kind of like axe heads where, you know, every household had a hand plane. Mm-hmm. It, you know, or everyone had an axe. So, 
when you go to a garage sale or something, you know, you see one and you, and you get interested easily. Uh, that's kind of how the addiction starts. And, and different sizes were meant for different uses. So, like, one through four would have been your smoothing planes, correct? Yeah. And your your five through six or seven would have been, or eight would have been your joiners, right? Yes. So, exactly. like, the edge of the board, obviously. And then there was variations of halves and even quarters, a five and a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Five and a half. There's a lot of weird stuff. It's uh, but it's basically, I'm assuming, almost exactly like Axis. Yeah. Every little variation makes it a little more interesting and valuable. It's yeah. Very simple. And, the, and the price point uh, to get into collecting is probably pretty low also, unless you're that's, looking for the rare ones. That's right. what that's what I mean by it's fairly accessible. You know, you can right, pick yeah. up a, a smoothing plane for five dollars at a garage sale. Same yeah. with like an accent, you know. Mm-hmm. You never know. You get your feet wet for very cheap. Yeah. And it's fun to figure out how to date them and where it's made and when it was made and that kind of it's very similar. It's an addiction. When- What's cool all. about the hand plane thing is somebody's put together a whole flow chart that you can use. Yes. And literally, you could be standing in the um, antique store and put a date on the plane. Yeah. I, I wonder if hand planes were – I don't know why they're so popular earlier than than that kind of stuff. Like, are there, are there type studies for axe heads? Have those been – No. Uh, no one has made those. Miller, so, Miller. Mike, Mike Miller. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's making them now. <laughs> so, so listen, listen, Eric. If you have a question about an axe at all, and you type yeah. into Uncle Google, I want to find out about fill in the blank, Black Raven, uh, Kelly Perfect. Yeah. There's a very, very high likelihood that Mike Miller has already answered the question under the username Operator1975. This motherfucker that's on the screen right now is the authority on the axe history and everything about it. Start writing. Yeah. We need a book. Because, yeah, like the the hand plane, the type studies for the hand planes came out in, like, the 90s. Yeah. So it's it's an older passion let's say so if axe is just getting started like there's a lot of uh there's a lot of potential in just uh, types of for axes you could be yeah. selling millions of copies okay <laughs> come on well at least it's valid it'd be of interest for sure i think it would you definitely know. be of interest there's nothing out there like that now the challenge with that is the records for some of these axe lines are not there like they are for those Stanley planes. Where like if I know yeah. Stanley one, two, three, one and a quarter, one and a half, they were made at this plant, this date range. It's not there in yeah. that kind of uh, specific like definitive terms. Right. So it's a little bit helter skelter. It's a little bit all over the place. And that's what we found with some of these other guys that have come before and have really laid the groundwork and done just a tremendous amount of research yeah. and put in the time and have interviewed people and got stuff sent, you know, the mail, blah, blah, blah. And what we're finding now is that, hey, there's some inaccuracies that are there. So it's not perfect. 
Yeah. That's one of the things I'm trying to work on now is just, you know, what do we know? What can we know? Who do we need to reach out to for research yeah. and try that's to find where, certain, and it's, it's tough. It's hard. That's where you might, you might just need to put it out there just so you can get as much exposure as humanly possible to see if maybe somebody pops up like, Oh yeah, I have this catalog from 1925. That may or may yeah. not be of interest to you. Uh, cause that I, I'm only speaking from experience in terms of, you know, I restore a tool on YouTube and then there, there's always like one or two guys are like, Oh shit, I have the catalog for this <laughs> in, in my, in my basement. And then yeah. I'm thinking, are you joking? Because it's not even on the internet that I can, I can get to. So this guy has something that doesn't exist easily anywhere else and then i get very excited about it dude miller if you put together a distilled version of um tom lamont's research by axe manufacturer acquisitions line uh, model lines and timelines it would just that thing would be incredibly valuable. So not like so he goes into all of the history and the details, but if you just put together a freaking timeline yeah. of it, it would be just a quick reference. I mean you would sell ten copies immediately. Yeah, and uh it can be valuable. <laughs> Come on. You know like the the Stanley type study book, the official book is like yeah. three hundred fifty dollars. Jesus yeah, like it's this no joke. Like it's it's massive and like a thousand pages, but uh, people people want them. It's in such high demand that it's worth three hundred fifty dollars because they don't make it anymore. What's the website called again? I can't remember. Which one? For the Stanley, like if you go on there, you can get the whole the type study. Yeah. Oh, there are a few. You could just I don't know, type it into Google. I think there was one that. It has changed, but the actual like Stanley book, uh, yeah, that's that's the next level, and that's just one manufacturer. Like you would have to get into a crazy amount of work. Yeah. Uh, so who knows if it's worth it? I don't know. But at least well, you're interested in it. Well, I can tell you this: uh, Chris Killinger and I have been pushing Mike Miller to write or create something. Um, since the day that we freaking met him. So, um, it, yeah, it, just do it. Just take like five years to write it every day. Just, I don't know, add one date. And then you're, like there's, there's no rush here. You know, just don't die. <laughs> and then you're, then you're good to go. Yeah. That, that would be a bonus if I could be alive for it. Yeah. You know, no, it, it will definitely. It'll take some time. It's something that the 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 ground has broke for it, so to speak, in its infancy. It's just the amount of information that is out there and how to properly categorize, categorize, put that out there in a in a form that is easy for your average Joe that maybe doesn't know a lot about axes. Yeah. Yeah, quickly exactly. reference that, but then somebody that has been into axes and tools can be like, hey, listen, I really like this and I appreciate this, and I can see that this is definitely going to make my life easier. This is what I have in my yeah. hands. Okay, now I have a basic timeline, you know, manufacturer, geographic area, 
and it, it's it's going to take time, but it'll be uh, it'll be a hell of a project to be on. Yeah, and even uh, I wonder how many copies do you think you could sell? That's the real question. If it to make it worth your time, if you're thinking of it through that lens. I don't know. I don't really. I never have really thought about well, how many copies am I going to be able to sell? To be honest with you, I don't. There's not that many axe heads out there. If you look at the grand scheme of the numbers, I mean, they're growing. Yeah. I think what would have to be done is that you need to make something then that would appeal to not only guys that are into axes, but guys that are into other tools. Yeah, you know, totally. It, some, that, some people love just collecting the the books themselves. Like I, I have no idea what the potential is, but if you could sell a thousand. That would be that be that be cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially at like fifty bucks each, it's fifty thousand bucks. Minus, Done. You know, real costs of mm. stuff. But yeah. you know, if it's digital or whatever, it's not that it's not that bad. Not too shabby. Well, I think probably the way to do it, the the one gentleman Larry McPhail that has one of the Axe books out right now, he sells one a week on eBay, and he lets. He lets them go after it, and it might sell one week for twenty-five bucks, and next week it might sell for sixty bucks. So interesting. It's that's one way I would have never thought to doing that that way. Yeah, but it's it's an interesting take on it. So yeah, that's a cool idea. Could be fun. I would definitely buy one. So you have me. I'll put you down for ten copies right on. <laughs> for ten <again>. copies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just need it. Need it. Hey. Real quick, while we mention eBay, I got to do a big shout out to my seller, U G L A S A Y E R S. You're still a scumbag motherfucker pushing your wife. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine tit shots. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go search his name and you'll no, be I do. Disgusting. I actually, I actually do. You do? Yeah. Because I just, I like, when I get bored at night, I'll go on eBay and look at, like, what's the highest selling, most recent item of some antique tool was on eBay. And, yeah, there's, like, a guy with his wife in a bra holding an axe, basically. It's mm-hmm. so trash. It doesn't, it probably works. Like, let's get serious. Uh, <laughs> I I think it uh, draws you in, but like the stuff that he's selling, does it make just, sense? Yeah. No, it just doesn't. It, like it just doesn't make sense at all. Can you, and can you guys, can you guys please do that in a bra? <laughs> I would laugh so hard if I'm scrolling down. It's all of a sudden just a guy in a bra <laughs> holding an axe. That's a great idea. I would actually die laughing. Because, like, how else are you going to really communicate with this guy? Um, believe it or not, I actually have those pictures of Chris Killinger whenever he was sharing a hotel room with Mike Miller. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do that. Or, like, the, so... where, where that, like, Borat man thong? Oh, oh my geez. God. <laughs> like, now... Now I have to buy the axe, basically. <laughs> You're shamed enough into looking at it. You, you at least got to, uh, to. Pitch, you know, pitch a couple bucks to the guy just for yeah, and putting to. it up there. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I'm talking about. I can't. I I seriously cannot believe that you know who 
we're talking about here, or not we. I didn't. I didn't know his name, but yeah, I've seen those. I've a hundred percent seen those. Did you actually go out and look for him, Chris or Miller? Did you guys? I've seen. This is, I've just seen him scrolling. So seriously, Eric, this is the third week that I have mentioned this dude. Um, I don't know how long he's been doing it, and it's just. It's disgusting to me. I, I think it's disgustingly hilarious at the same time. Look, it's just, it's just, he's that committed to doing this. He's clearly like an axe collector. And well, and he, in the minimal sense possible. Yeah, and he's also got some other stuff on here: hammers, a little vice, a uh, couple wrenches, ball peen hammers. Uh, he's got a distance saw. Um, but again, that's not what you're looking at. You're looking at the, uh, zebra print freaking bra or bikini or, you know, whatever it is. And like, whenever you click on it, maybe the second picture is her like sprawled out with, with the axe laying all the way across her oh, chest. Oh, really? Seriously. Oh, my God. oh so, my God. I've never uh, even clicked on it. I should. Just yeah, right. <laughs> Are the other tools uh, like that? Are they with her or is it just the axes with the lady? Just axes and vices, but he's got some other miscellaneous things on here, like some keys, some Harley Davidson stuff. But here's one. Here's this is weird. He's got a Harley Davidson brand new 2020 Harley Davidson motorcycle model sales brochure for the Livewire bike. And the first picture, her holding up the card all over her boobs. The second picture, it's a little bit lower, and you can really start to. <laughs> You can really start to see that cleavage. And you're like, oh, is there going to be another one? Nope. No. And you're always let down. I just, I would love to know who this lady is. Like, this is, is this their main source of income? That has to be. Otherwise, like, what, what, like, how are you that motivated? Yeah, does she get a cut out of that? Like, yeah. So if they sell that axe for 40 bucks, like, does she get, say, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks, 20 bucks? Like, well, how's that work? <laughs> it's the, the new type of prostituting that we didn't even know <laughs> needed to exist. The most eBay, dis- eBay models. The most disgusting one for all you guys listening out there. Google this one or uh, eBay this one. Vintage Stanley Tool Jobmaster small four ounce ball peen hammer. The first picture again holding it over the boobs. The second picture. She's laying down like this and got the ball peen in her cleavage itself and her fat rolls on the other side are just like chunked up and she's trying to hold it up with her arm. It is flat out disgusting. Very uh, three, three weeks in a row. It's mine. I already bought it. How do you have that conversation with your wife? Hey, honey. I really need – we need to pick up eBay sales. Um, do you mind uh, putting on this – Putting on, put down, you know, just underwear. How about underwear? Just don't worry about it. <laughs> That's how I'm going to do all my thumbnails now on YouTube. <laughs> Total clickbait. It would 100% work. Like yeah. eBay's, that, or sorry, YouTube's that, that ridiculous. That it easy would, to amuse. Like, will become... I hate. Yeah, the Wranglers there, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah like clickbait it it works i hate i hate that it works i agree i hate that it works like i why 
it's just why like human. I... It's just human nature that it taps into. I guess. Why can't I just put up a video and tell you exactly what I'm doing in that video, and you watch it because that's what you're interested in? Yeah. Oh, really? Simple things. If only it was that simple. I I really hate videos that take a minute to a minute and a half to gear you up to. Well, oh. hey, I'm going to be working on this and da 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 da. Just fucking get to it, golly. That's, that's literally one of the main reasons why I started the YouTube channel and why I film it the way I do. Like, I don't care about what you're going to do. Like, just do. Just do it. Just get into it. Yeah. Just get into it. You know, like, if it's a carburetor fix video and it's 20 minutes of the guy telling me, like, about his day. <laughs> I don't care. Attention lost. It's yeah, gone. Like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even care. I have no formula. Yeah, it's too much. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. Not interested. Oh. Alright, so we about ready to wrap this up? Yeah, because I gotta go to work. Sure. Who yeah. even works anymore? Ah. Work is dead. <laughs> work is no one dead. works. Yeah. Unfortunately, I still have to. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start selling books and boobs. <laughs> yeah. That's the cover of the X book. Oh my god, that would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> in in the worst, sluttiest kind of way, hilarious. Please, please, I just just don't tell me that you're gonna post the eBay photo. And I just want to come across it and laugh so <laughs> when I, <laughs> just don't tell me. I want to see it done. I want <laughs> Oh my god. I want to know. Imagine like you get flagged and he doesn't get flagged. <laughs> You're banned. You're out, yeah. Here. out of here. You violated our rules. Yeah. Not fair. I just, just promised me that. That's all I ask. <laughs> That's all I ask, guys. Alrighty. Alright. Let's cut it. Well, hey, yes. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. No Keep problem. Going. Keep being badass. I love your videos and Instagram. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. We, thank we you. really appreciate it. Thank you. No, Many thanks. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Wrap it. Wrap it.